Hello and welcome to the Flying Frisbee podcast with me, Dominic Frisbee. And today's piece is called The Next Decade. What does it have in store? With the subtitle, we are witnessing a sea change in the investment landscape. Remember to check out my helium report and Dr. John's bond report if you haven't already. And off we go. So I stumbled across a GavCal research daily comment over the weekend and it had a really interesting table that I thought we could discuss today. GavCal Research, if you don't know, it's a financial research firm that provides analysis and insight on global economies, markets and industries. It was founded in 1999 by Charles Gav, Anatole Koletsky and Louis Vincent Gav and it's headquartered in Hong Kong. And it is, the internet tells me, known for its holistic approach to analysis. Now, holistic is one of those corporate buzzwords that I never really knew what it meant. And again, the internet is our friend in the context of financial analysis. Holistic analysis refers to considering a wide range of factors such as economic, political and behavioural in order to gain a full understanding of market developments. It's a way of looking at the big picture rather than just focusing on specific details or individual factors, in other words. So why didn't they just say big picture? Such is the equivocal financial world in which we live. In any case, Louis Vincent Gav's, or should I say Louis Vincent Gav's report is a compelling one. He describes how roughly every every decade or so, Financial markets fall in love with a new narrative, and this is something we've observed many times in our own writing, or I've observed. The 1970s were all about precious metals and energy, the 80s went to Japan, the 1990s saw tech stocks take over, and the 2000s were all about natural resources and the extraordinary growth in China. The 2010s were all about tech, so what about the 2020s? What are they all about And Gav suggests that there are three narratives, each with a core idea. The opening of new markets to capitalism, Ricardian growth. Technological breakthroughs, Schumpterian growth. Or the fear that in the coming years there will not be enough for everyone, the Malthusian constraint. And each time the narrative is persuasive and rooted in some truth, which is why it takes hold. But by the end of the cycle, valuations reach such extremes that they no longer make sense. A bear market sets in, and a new narrative takes over. Asset allocation is everything, as we often observe. All you have to do is shift from narrative to narrative. A lot easier said than done, of course. So too, Gav's humdinger of a table. Now, you can see the table in the article, but it shows the world's top largest companies by market cap in the 80s, the 90s, the 2000s, the 2010s and today. Now, in 1980, that was a Malthusian bull market. The 70s were one of the Malthusians, peak oil and all that. The 1980s ending in 1990 were all about Japan. That was a Ricardian bull market. The 2000s, the, uh, 90s into the 2000s was the tech bubble. That was a Shumterian bull market. The 2010s, China's taking over the world. Commodities, that was a combination of Malthus and Ricard. And then the 2010s were all about tech. Only tech can deliver growth. So that was a Shumterian bull. And in the 80s, the top Ten largest companies were IBM, AT&T, Exxon, Standard Oil, Schlumberger, Shell, Mobile, Atlantic Richfield, General Electric and Eastman Kodak. But in the 90s, 
eight of the top companies were Japanese. I won't list them all out. In the, in the, uh, by the end of the 90s, however, ending in 2000, the top 10 companies in 2000 were Microsoft, General Electric, NTT, Cisco Systems, Walmart, Intel, ExxonMobil, and Deutsche Telekom. 2010, by that, that year, the eight top 10 companies were, were ExxonMobil, PetroChina, Apple, BHP, Microsoft, um, Royal Dutch Shell, Petrobras. And today, or 2021, the largest 10 companies, Apple, Microsoft, Alphabet, Amazon, Facebook, Tesla, Berkshire Hathaway, TSMC, Tencent Holdings and NVIDIA. So you can see how the narrative shifted with each decade. By the end of the 1970s, six of the world's largest 10 companies were oil companies. By the end of the next decade, just one of them was. Uh, by the end of the 1980s, eight of the world's largest 10 companies were Japanese. By the end of the following decade, just two of them were. At the turn of the century, seven of the world's largest 10 companies were tech-related. By the end of the following decade, just two were. And at the end of the noughties, seven of the world's largest companies were natural resource companies. By the end of the following decade, not one was. 2022 seems to have marked the turning point. The Covid rallies in tech were the final spike in an amazing bull market. And these were all huge companies that make the foundation on which portfolios were built. But how many of 2021's top 10 will be there in 10 years time? Not more than two or three, I wouldn't have thought. You have to hand it to Microsoft. It's been there three decades running. Perhaps that's because, in a way, it's as much a tech stock. It's, a, it's, a, it's as much as patent holding company uh, as it is a tech stock. Or Apple's also made that list twice. So mighty are these companies and so entrenched in their monopolies, it's very hard to envisage them not being so mighty in 10 years' time. But this is the world of tech. New inventions can come along that quickly make old monopolies redundant. In that regard, I've just been playing with a new open AI chatbot that my son, who's at university in Bristol, put me onto, and it's extraordinary. It can write essays. It, it wrote a better biog <laughs> than that that I now for me about me that I'm now going to use on my site, and it's a better biog than I've ever had. What what will the impact be on, say, Google? Who knows. Gav says that waiting for the Fed to cut rates and being long the likes of NVIDIA or Alphabet makes about as much sense as sitting in Tokyo in 1992 waiting for the Bank of Japan to cut rates in order to buy the Industrial Bank of Japan. In short, we're in a transitioning phase. So what does the next decade have in store for us? Well, elsewhere, Howard Marks of Oaktree Capital also argues that we're in a sea change, only the third we've seen in his career and that the model of success for the previous cycle is not going to work this time around. And he suggests that the high-leverage, asset-owning, low-interest-rate, low-yield, low-inflation models of the last cycle are behind us, and that the general landscape is much less optimistic. He suggests that stimulative rates are not coming anytime soon, and that the base rate will remain in the 2 to 4% range. We're now in a full-return world, not a low-return world, and investors can get good returns from credit yield instruments, high-yielding bonds and so on. What worked before will not work now. What works now might be something that hasn't worked for a long time. Gav, meanwhile, suggests emerging markets and commodities, and even with a China slowdown and lockdown, the Fed tightening and a surging US dollar, the S&P Goldman Sachs Commodities Index has still returned 27%. This will be an even better story when these forces reverse, when China opens up, the Fed stops tightening 
and the US dollar rolls over. The GESCI has returned 27%, mostly on the back of energy. Metals have been a rather different story, I observe, but with those three reversals in place, weak dollar, no more tightening, and China open, the stage is set for metals. What do you think the next decade's narrative is going to be? It's there percolating somewhere. Malthusian, Ricardian or Schumpterian. Thank you very much for reading, for listening. I'll be back with another um, article very soon. And if you're interested in buying gold, please check out the Pure Gold Company. And um, please tell your friends about this amazing podcast. Goodbye.